All right, welcome to the Cyber 24 podcast, the weekly pod dedicated to helping business and governmental leaders better understand the often intimidating topic of cybersecurity so you can make better decisions for your organization. I'm Marty Carpenter of 24-9. I work in strategic communication, public affairs, and government relations, and I'm joined today by a special guest, longtime friend of mine, and a super, super smart guy. I'm really excited about this episode, Dr. Paul Godfrey. Paul serves as a professor of business strategy in the Marriott School of Management at Brigham Young University. His groundbreaking research has enhanced the understanding of the economic benefits that businesses get when they engage in corporate social responsibility activities. And above all that, he has co-authored the book right there, Strategic Risk Management, New Tools for Competitive Advantage in an Uncertain Age. Great guest, great conversation. Let's jump right into it with Dr. Paul Gottlieb. You know, I've been interested in having you on the show for some time because of your work in strategic risk management and how it relates to the decisions businesses face regarding cybersecurity specifically. But let's begin at the beginning. You're a strategy guy by training. How did you get into thinking about strategic risk? Well, I used to, I do a lot of research on corporate social responsibility. And one of the things that I realized about a decade ago was that this was marvelous risk management for firms. They could become involved in their communities and protect their brand, um, protect their loyalty value to their employees, protect their relationships with their suppliers by, by being involved. And so I got started thinking about what's the relationship between strategy and risk by thinking about corporate social responsibility and community involvement. And things kind of emerged from there and started working with some experts in risk and started thinking about um, this thing called strategic risks, and what are they, and how can firms manage them effectively? Well, let's bounce off from there then. What are strategic risks, and can you give me some examples of what businesses are facing today? Yeah, so a strategic risk is an exposure. That's risk term. It's an event. It's an activity. It might be a relationship. It's something that has the power to either torpedo your competitive advantage or really turbocharge it and allow you to sort of jump ahead. Um, and it might threaten, and this is where I think it relates to cybersecurity, strategic risks can threaten the viability of the firm as a going concern. Um, they can just be something that wipes out a firm really, really quickly. So the, the poster child for strategic risk is the pandemic that we've all been enduring. So if I'm a, if I'm a restaurant, uh, strategic risk was all of my customers disappeared and it threatened the viability of my firm. If I'm Zoom or Amazon, uh, this was a strategic risk that was a huge opportunity for me to grow my market share and to really dominate the market in which I compete. So that's just a, an, an easy example. I like that connection between risk and opportunity because you know every company faces risk to some extent and some companies can understand what those risks are and turn them into opportunities, right? Absolutely. And that's where, if you can understand what a risk is and where it might be heading, you can maybe turn it from a threat of being blindsided into an opportunity where you can exploit it at the very beginning. So since it's the year 2021 and every business is to some extent an online business, even you know if you're a brick and mortar store, you have a website, you most likely collect some kind of data or can sell things online. It, does every business have some level of risk? If they're on the internet, they have some type of cybersecurity risk and they need to be strategic about how they think about it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I remember early in the pandemic being a part of a, uh, it was an online therapy group and all of a sudden it got Zoom bombed. 
um, by some hacker just coming in and all of a sudden it was screeching and lights going everywhere. And, and this, this big, great meeting just ended in disaster because they hadn't thought about being password protected or they hadn't thought about having some kind of passcode to get on. So yeah, every business in the, in the cyber world and, you know, and again, the, the, the cyber criminals, they've been at this for a lot longer than businesses that just sort of migrated online. So you have to be really careful in today's environment, but there are huge opportunities as well. Yeah. Really, when you talk about the cyber criminal side, they have to calculate their risk as well. The problem is they don't have a whole lot of risk right now because it's really hard to catch them doing they're, what they're doing. Yeah, they're they're really good because they're fast. You know, they're opportunistic. And so they're not very rarely are they looking for sort of residual exploitation or something over time. They're looking to get in and get out and make a lot of money. And then by the time you even notice they've been there, they're long gone. Mm-hmm. And they take a number of steps to remain undetected and to, you know, stay off the radar of law enforcement, or at least where law enforcement can't can't actually apprehend them. And so they're managing their risk. Interestingly enough, everybody has to do this and probably does it naturally, just yep. not as well as they could if they did it strategically. Yeah, the consequences for them warrant that they really think hard about ma- managing their risks. But you know, they're not they're not just evading law enforcement; they're evading IT departments and they're they're evading. Um, protocols that companies set, have set up may, to help them think that they have cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's I think where businesses um, th- maybe think to some extent about: okay, are we secure, or do we have? And, I, and I've talked about this with other guests on the show. When you start up a business, you're just thinking about how do we accomplish X, Y, and Z, right? And security kind of gets pushed to the background if mm-hmm. you're not thinking strategically about it. But really. If, if your business conducts business online, that is such a major vulnerability for you if that's not your top priority when it comes to managing that risk. Well, and, and nobody, no small business or medium-sized business is thinking about cyber risk right out of the gate. They're thinking about how do I keep my customers? How do I deliver the product that these folks are ordering online? And they're thinking about all the positive aspects um, and what they'll tend to do is neglect some really basic security protocols like password protection for Zoom meetings or, you know, sort of I'm not a robot, those, those catch of things that you're doing just to, to give you even a basic level of security. Yeah, businesses can even start out thinking, here are the positives of the positives and the negatives are not accomplishing the positives and don't, don't necessarily turn to thinking about the negatives really being the negatives. Right. You know, and, and, and I mean, we're, we're talking about simple things. I mean, you know, we know from, from crime in general, like, you know, the reason you lock your car in a parking lot, if somebody really wants to steal your car, they're going to steal your car. But what most people are doing is they're just walking through the parking lot looking for an open door. And when they find an open door, that's the car they steal. And it's the same thing in the cyber world for strategic risk. You know, I mean, just some basic level of locking your door, having password protections, having secure websites, having just a a basic layer of security, you know, often that keeps the most opportunistic risks from happening. Um, But if, again, if somebody really wants to target your business, then then, then you're pretty much cooked unless you have a full-time cybersecurity staff that that are keeping you safe. 
the businesses you work with uh, or you know give your counsel to, uh, do most of them start at a much more sophisticated level than sort of what we're describing? I mean, they have most of them. I, I would say are. Uh, developed enough where they say, yeah, we protect our data and we do these things. And we're trying to manage the amount of risk we have related to more of the minutia rather than sort of the big levers to pull. So, you know, some of them are, and and typically companies that are thinking about strategic risk are somewhere 50 to hundred million and north of that in revenue. And I'm, I'm impressed at what I see as sort of the bipolar nature of cybersecurity. I see a lot of companies who take it very, very seriously, and they're making continual IT investments, and they're and they're and they're doing good things. And then I see the the other end, which is, you know, what this is not going to happen to us. Um, we're not we're not a huge business, you know. Nobody's going to hack us, and we're just good people. And what I see is very little activity in the middle of again people taking just sort of reasonable, prudent precautions to to eliminate cyber risks. Um, so that's been my experience with the folks that I work with is you're either all in or you're all out. And, but, but the people who are sort of prudent are, are, are kind of, it's hard to find them. Time to take a quick break, but first a reminder that Cyber24 is presented each week by our friends at Valcom. Valcom is a Utah-based IT solutions and services provider with a drive for getting IT right. From ironclad security to computing and beyond, Valcom's 35 plus years means they have the experience and the expertise to help your business from desktop to data center. Check them out at VLCM.com. We're back with more on the Cyber24 podcast presented by Valcom right after this. With the increasing number of employees working remotely everywhere around the world, businesses are now looking at supporting a mostly, if not fully, remote workforce. But just because security at the office is no longer a high priority, that doesn't mean that remote security should be overlooked or be difficult to manage. To enable remote work security at your business, Valcom recommends WatchGuard Automation Core. WatchGuard's automation security platform speeds up processes, kills threats, and empowers IT teams to do more with less. With WatchGuard, you can apply zero trust principles across networks and applications and help remote employees enable secure Wi-Fi networks. To learn more about remote work security, visit vlcmtech.com slash watchguard. That's vlcmtech.com slash watchguard. You know, servers are a key component to keeping your business up and running, but when was the last time you stopped to think about the security features on those servers? Hewlett Packard Enterprises has you covered. Introducing the world's most secure standard servers, Gen 10 servers from HPE. Maximize performance, achieve more in the same time, and lock down security features right down to the silicone. Gen 10 security features work at the firmware level, utilizing customized HPE silicon. Each Gen 10 server has a unique individual fingerprint, meaning that your server will not boot unless the firmware matches the print, locking the server end to end. Valcom is ready to help you refresh old outdated server hardware. As a long-standing HPE Platinum partner, they have the skills and the expertise to help you maximize data center efficiency without stretching the budget. Learn more about HPE Gen 10 security protection at vlcmtech.com slash gen10. That's vlcmtech.com slash gen10. All right, welcome back to the Cyber24 podcast presented by Valcom. We continue our discussion now with Dr. Paul Godfrey from Brigham Young University. How can companies prepare for strategic risks? How, how do they go about that? 
Well, the first thing that you got to do, so in, in our book, we talk about the, the ultimate strategic risk monitors are your teenage children, because they're aware of the latest and greatest new trend and something that starts out really, really small and is going to grow into something really, really big. And so, you know, I jokingly tell companies, hire your teenage kids to start monitoring the external environment and the technology environment, and, and they'll help you spot strategic risks. But the problem with teenagers is they don't have experience to know what's a risk and what's an opportunity. So the, the fundamental thing is companies have to look outside of themselves. They have to look at the technological world and say, not what's new today, but what's on the horizon five years from now. Um, they need to look at the, at the political environment and not just look at what's happening in politics today, but, but what are the long-term trends? You know, one political trend that we're seeing is a, is a long-term rise in populism and nationalism, which everybody thought had gone the way of the dodo bird if, in a global world. And, and there are strategic threats and opportunities out there, um, thinking about how society is changing. And again, not what's happening today or this year, but what's happening, what are the little specks on the horizon? What are the clouds out there that might turn into storms five years from now? That's how companies begin to monitor strategic risks. And then they watch them. They watch them evolve. They send people to future conference, future-oriented conferences to see how something like AI is evolving or Google Glass might be evolving 10 years on. And you just gotta, gotta watch them because when they when they next appear, they tend to be fully formed. And they're all of a sudden a huge threat or an opportunity to your business. So you start early. Yeah. What you're describing sounds like a, a relatively ongoing process, right? And we've talked with other folks on this podcast before, specific to like a, a strategic risk assessment or just even a risk assessment saying, you know, where are our vulnerabilities in our actual boots on the ground defenses? Yeah. Um, and they say, hey, you've got to do this at least once a year, probably twice a year. But what you're describing sounds like more of an ongoing um, uh, emotional state or just like a sort of an ethos of a company to say, we always need to be on the lookout for what yeah. those risks are and judge what that risk is. Well, that's that's sort of the cultural underpinning is that, that yeah, we're always looking for strategic risks. But then you got to have the formal systems. You have to have an annual risk review and, and an annual risk assessment or a semi-annual risk assessment. Um, but there is that need to always be watching because risks don't always appear on your planning cadence. You know, they don't always appear two weeks before you start your planning. They typically appear two weeks after you're done. So there's that combination of formal processes, but also an informal culture that will help you um, create a, a, a constant ongoing search for what's new in the environment. So regularly scheduled checkups, but constant vigilance to go with it and always be thinking about this. Absolutely. You know, and, and again, I mean, it's, you know, going back to the teenager example, it's the executive who goes home and, and finds out from their kids, hey, what's the latest and greatest? And then steps back and thinks about not how that's going to ruin my kids' lives, but what could that mean for my business five years from now when this really takes off? So it's, it's a mindset as well as a set of procedures. You're absolutely mm -hmm. right. Yeah, really interesting stuff. So as we grind through the pandemic, what would you say are two to three maybe key strategic risks you think businesses should be focusing on? Well, I think that I think a key strategic risk is, um, you know, what are you doing with your workforce? 
Um, you know, we, we're all seeing, and, and there's a lot of debate about whether people are going to return to the office, whether they're going to work from home, and what does it look like? And, and it's probably not going to end up being 100% work from home or 100% in the office. It's going to be a mix. And so one strategic risk is, what does that mix look like? But, but underneath that are sort of two other important strategic risks. You know, one is when we're no longer all together in the office, how do we perpetuate our culture? How do we really make sure that we as an organization are coherent? And I was reading an article the other day in the New York Times about people who started jobs at the beginning of the pandemic and have now left their jobs and never had physical contact with any of the people they worked with. How does culture perpetuate over that? Um, and secondly, is a sort of leadership risk. So early on in the pandemic, one of my uh, one of my contacts said, "You know, I'm pretty good at managing through the pandemic. I can set schedules. I can get work done. How do I lead? How do I inspire and motivate people? And how do I reach out to them on a on a personal basis when there's this huge gap?" between us. So I think those are two sort of workforce-related strategic risks. And then another one that we're going to see for the next decade are supply chain disruptions. Um, You know, the supply chain pre-pandemic took 30 years to build this complete just-in-time supply chain. And all of a sudden, within about two weeks, people realized there was a huge risk if you didn't have any inventory. And now what we're seeing is that ripple through the economy sector by sector. And it's going to take about a decade for people to, to really rebuild supply chains that now are risk responsive in terms of appropriate inventory, but still trying to be as just in time as you can be. Yeah, it's interesting when you mentioned the supply chain, there is a, a, a sweet spot uh, generation that has never really, until the pandemic, felt a pinch in the supply chain. And it's mine. I mean, I'm in yeah. my mid forties and I'm too young to have been around for the gas shortages of the early seventies. Right. Um, and I've had really just abundance throughout my entire life leading into early and, you know, sort of mid adulthood here. And then right. for the first time, it's like, what do you mean the grocery store doesn't have 25 kinds of pop? What do you mean they don't have caffeine-free diet, cherry, Coke zero? <laughs> they right. only have Coke zero. How could that yeah. possibly be the case? How could that be the case? And, and my my wife was out shopping in some traditional retail yesterday, and she's like, I'm amazed at how much empty shelf space there is mm-hmm. and how many things that you would think companies would be restocking, like fall clothing. She says, you know, you're out looking for fall and winter clothing, and you can't find it. And yeah. what you realize is that all of that fall and winter clothing is on a container ship off of Santa Barbara, and it'll be here in about six weeks when you know, in time in, for winter, <laughs> in, just in time for winter, yeah. but not in time for people to prepare. So I think yeah. supply chain and workforce are two huge risks people ought to be thinking about. Yeah, really interesting what you said as well about productivity and and or culture in specific. And what I thought of was productivity because when the pandemic first hit and the workforce shifted online and remote, uh, every company was worried about how do we maintain productivity. And that's yep. sort of the short-term risk, right? We need to make sure we can be as productive as possible. But you're right. The long-term risk to calculate is how do we have a company culture when people have never been here, right? right. For so long, it's, oh, well, we give them a sweatshirt or a, a vest or a hat or something, and we have pizza parties, and you can't do that anymore. 
Right. I mean, and it's that pizza party. It's that having lunch together that 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 is the glue that actually helps productivity increase because people know how to help each other out. They know where they're working. They know what what people's styles are. And 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 now that's all going to be a different world and a shift probably most um, stark for businesses that maybe should have been best prepared for online work. You know, when you think of like that time period when businesses suddenly were about nap pods and ping pong tables and, you know, trying to keep their workers on a a luxurious campus because that helped the overall productivity and built a culture. Right. And just like that, it changed. So there's, you can, you can be a very savvy company and still not quite see around the corner the way that you would have wanted to. Absolutely. And I think one of the things, the pandemic, a lot of those folks in tech realized that the ping pong tables, the laundry facility, the meals, the open fridge, instead of being a thing that sort of encouraged them to be productive, sort of meant, hey, you now have no reason to go home. And now when they went home, they realized, wow, I kind of like this life at home. Yeah. I kind of yeah. like being distanced from my firm. And so again, smart companies, you know, Facebook, Google, some of the tech leaders are They've swung completely toward we're going to be all remote. I think you're going to see that that pendulum come back. Um, but we're we're all learning as we go and as we as we try things and see what happens. Um, smart companies are learning. Yeah, it may not be quite like baseball where you can be successful three times out of ten and get into the Hall of Fame, but you're not going to bat a thousand when you're predicting the future. Right, you're not going to bat a thousand, but hopefully you're batting above five hundred and. You get it right three out of four times, and then you make the business hall of fame. So you identified a couple of key strategic risks for us. And I know you've touched on this to some extent, but I'm wondering if you could just sort of um, walk through what people should be doing now, what businesses should be doing now to plan for and mitigate those risks. Well, I think in in terms of workforce, you know, what what companies ought to be doing is continually um, just monitoring the situation. So one of the things that that smart leaders have realized is how much their employees' work life was subsidized by schools or by daycare opportunities that that may not exist now. And so companies that are smart are really starting to think holistically about their employee. It's not just, hey, you take off your personal hat when you come to work and you're mine. It's, hey, you you exist, you know, Marty, you live in a in an embedded ecosystem with kids and schools and commitments. Um, and if I really want you to be productive, how do I allow you to balance those things in a work environment where you're at home 40% or 60% of the time? I think yeah. that's how you sort of think through and you reflect and you have a lot of dialogue. In terms of supply chain, um, I think companies start thinking about that nasty word called inventory, that it might actually be worth stockpiling certain things that are key components for them, um, particularly the longer the supply chain is. The more global the supply chain, the more I want. I might want to start having buffer stocks of critical elements. I mean, Toyota was talking about having to shut down their production line because they don't have any more chips. And so, you know, you think about, and, and, and nobody thought chips were essential for cars. They were just an add-on. You know, what was essential was engines and tires and leather seats, but turns out some little teeny chip can can halt your production line because you weren't thinking about how vital it was to your to your whole operation. Uh, 
Great stuff. Great insight. No, I expected nothing less. Uh, Dr. Paul Godfrey, thanks so much for taking some time with us today to help us understand the importance of thinking through strategic risk and managing that, especially when it relates to cybersecurity. Thanks, Marty. It's been a pleasure. All right. Great stuff there from Dr. Godfrey. As we wrap up for this episode, I want to thank our sponsors at Valcom. At Valcom, you get much more than a dedicated IT retailer. They become an extension of your IT team. So whether you're a startup or an enterprise, Valcom has the technical sales and engineering expertise to make your business more effective and more productive. Check them out at VLCM.com. That's VLCM.com. Special thanks as well to our supporting partners, the Utah Division of Technology Services, the Kempsey Gardner Policy Institute at the University of Utah, Secuvant, the Utah Attorney General's Office, and the Utah Department of Public Safety. You can follow us on Twitter at Cyber24 underscore, or you can hit us up on Facebook as well. Connect with us in either place to let us know what you think or if you have a topic you'd like us to discuss on a future episode. And as a reminder, you can also rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. We love those five-star ratings. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week and stay safe online.